How are we going? That's good. You might even have to soften me a little bit. Folks, I was at the, uh, I thank you to the team this morning. I really appreciated the way you led us into worship and thank you for the puppets as well. Last night I had the opportunity of being at the Atherton uh, Community Carols at the Maryland Hall and, and, had, and was asked to speak on the real meaning of Christmas. And if you want to hear what I spoke on, come to the carols in the car park because I'm speaking on the same thing. Well, one of the songs that was sung last night was All I Want For Christmas Is My Two Front Teeth. All I Want For Christmas Is A Brand New Tooth. So, um, so I might be a bit lispy today. Uh, I'm glad there's no one sitting in the front seat because they might get sprayed a little bit more than what they were already. But, but uh, uh, you can help me out. So whenever there's a scripture up on the screen, you can read it for me. How's that? That gives my lisp a rest. Say that a few times. So this morning, let's pray. Dear Father, your word is uh, true and real and right for us today. And we pray that as we open your word, perhaps a passage that we're not that familiar with, that, Father, you will speak to us, guide us, um, cause us to obey how we are to live for you. Father, we pray that you'll do a work in our hearts and our minds today and then give us the energy and the power as we, to, to live out what you want us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I do... Uh, did we skip one? Or did we go back? Can you line that up for me? Don't know why it's gone to there. No, still keeps on going back to that song. Can you click on the uh, sermon one, thanks? No, don't know why it's not playing. Is it? <laughs> okay. The title of this morning's message is, Thank You for Your Service. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with those words, but often they're said when somebody's retiring. I'm not retiring yet. Uh, but uh, Or often if they're finishing one job and moving to another, the uh, employers will say, thank you for your service. Or even if people have passed away, often those words are used at a funeral service where we say, thank you for your service. But I believe that God wants us to understand that, that he really values our service, whatever we do for him uh, in, in the life of the church. Um, at this time of the year, I think it's appropriate to say thank you for this. By the way, I preached this message at Youngerborough last week, and um, a number of people at Morning Tea said, have you preached that message at Atherton? I said, that's a great idea. So here we are. So I've, I've already challenged the people that were there last week, that to see any differences between this week's sermon and last week's sermon, okay? That might keep them awake during the message. This time of the year, we're, we're winding down. We've been to a few Christmas parties, you know. We've, we look back and we go, Phew, we've made it through the year. And for many people, we're lining up for holidays or a break. But, you know, there's some people that don't have holidays or breaks uh, over this time, particularly emergency service people, hospital people, uh, uh, shop People, they don't often have breaks at this time. So so even though we might think, oh, we've made it through the year, there are still people ongoing in what they do throughout the year. I want to say thank you for your service. And I can look around the room and see lots of people that do lots of things in service for the Lord. It could be involvement in the church here. 
It could be in the myriad of ways that people contribute to the life of the church, whether it be um, music team, creative ministry team, whether it be mainly music, whether it be the church cleaning, whether it be the hospitality, morning tea, whether it be on the prayer, text prayer chain, whether it be coming to working bees. There's lots of people that serve the Lord through his church here. So I want to say thank you for your service. And uh, often we forget to thank people. Now, here's the challenge. If you've been touched by somebody who's ministered to you uh, this year and you haven't had the opportunity to say thank you, why don't you take that opportunity today over morning tea to say thank you for ministering to me this year. Thank you for the work that you do for the Lord. But do you know, I want to talk about a four-letter word this morning in the service that is becoming less and less popular these days, and this is the word. Work. So thank you for your service. As I say thank you for your service, in effect I'm saying thank you for the work that you do, thank you for the ministry that you do. But work is sort of like um, one of those dirty words for some people, isn't it? I was talking with a chap this week, or last week rather, who feels that that there's been a loss of a work ethic in our society where work is good for you. There's a sense of satisfaction in the things that you do and the accomplishments that you, you achieve. But that seems to have been lost by an attitude which is work is just giving me some money to do the pleasurable things that I want to do. And there doesn't seem to be that as much to be that value in work. So we're going to look at that today from God's perspective and trust that he will say something to us from the book of 1 Samuel, where there's a story in there about Saul and David. And at first glance, you might think, hmm, what does this have to say about work? I believe God's going to speak to us today. So here's your turn to save my list. All right? How about you start reading here from verse 14? So for those at home, I hope it's clear enough on the screen. I didn't have a chance to change it from last week. Uh, From 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 to 23. Let's start at verse 14. Now,
So maybe that's a passage you're familiar with, or maybe it's something you haven't read for a while, but it's based on the uh, story of David, uh, sorry, Saul, who had been appointed king, and then God appointed, had uh, um, David appointed as king, and Saul was stepping back because of the lifestyle that he was living. So to get our minds around this message, I want to use uh, a theology you may not be aware of. And I'm not sure if you understand the theology of uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Anybody uh, looked into that theology? Well, there's a particular song, or there's a few songs in that in that uh, story that Walt Disney used that are about work, believe it or not. And you might be familiar with this one. You can sing it if you want to. Just whistle while you I can't whistle. And cheerfully together we can tidy up the place. So I'm a merry day. It won't take long when there's a song to help you set the pace. And as you sweep the room, imagine that the room is someone that you love and soon you'll find you dancing to the tune. And I'm sure that's how we approach work every day, isn't it? You know, we whistle, we, I, I can just imagine my wife dancing around the house while she's brooming the floor. No. Okay. But in that song, the essence of that song is make work enjoyable. Who was she working for? The Seven Dwarves. Their place was a mess. Uh, but she wasn't complaining. She was doing it out of her love, care and concern for the dwarves. And she was having fun. That's the story in that song, isn't it? wonder how we approach our work. Uh, what can we learn about work the way that God wants us to work? And I think that's what we can learn from this passage. Uh, in this passage, Saul and David had both been assigned a task that author and uh, Bible scholar Eugene Peterson labels king work. He, he's given that a bit of a label, king work. And if you go back to 1 Samuel 10, you can see where um, Samuel the prophet uh, was asked by God to anoint Saul as the king of Israel. Prior to that time, there was no kings of Israel. They had judges that God had appointed. and uh, But the people of Israel said, we want to be like every other nation. We want to have a king too. And ultimately God said, okay, but you need to be aware of what's going to happen when you appoint a king. He'll require your men to come and serve in his army. He'll require your people to come and serve in the palace. He will extract taxes and things from you which you don't have at the moment. But they still said, we want a king. And uh, and so God appointed Saul. And then in a very similar way, David was appointed as, a, as king by Saul, by Samuel, uh, when he anointed David according to God's will. By that time, something had happened to Saul. He, he had, there's this great contrast between the two of them, between Saul, the first king, and David, the second king. And what would happen in that first verse, it said that the Lord had allowed an evil spirit to uh, come into Saul's life. And I'm going to talk about that in a while. In a while. And, but also in that passage that we read, that evil spirit was calmed when Saul was playing his harp. So guys who play the guitars, there could be a message in this for you. Uh, the calming music of, of guitar playing, possibly. 
So how do we make sure that the work we do, whatever work it is, and I'll be looking into that in a moment too, whatever work it is that we do, how can we make sure that we can enjoy it? We can whistle in our work, if you like. We can we can be ready for when we stand before our God and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. What can we do to make sure that that's happening right now? That's the target for today. Like I said, Eugene Peterson, he uses this term king work. And I believe that when you look at the background to the word work, it equals service, it equals ministry. So, so whatever you're doing, if you're doing it for God, then you can learn how to whistle while you work. So how do we do that? First of all, we need to connect your work and your worship. I need to connect my, connect my work and my worship. God is a worker. Do you agree with that, that God's a worker? How do you know? In the very beginning, he created the world. And that word create has the same basis as the word work. So he, he his creative work went for six days, and then what did he do on the seventh? He rested. Okay, He didn't stop working. He rested from his creative work. Because if he had stopped working, we wouldn't be here. Because God's the one that keeps this world going. And that description of God as a worker continues in the New Testament where Jesus describes his father as a worker and then also claims to be a worker himself. Have a read of this first. Read it for me. So Jesus wasn't a slacker. He was a worker. He was working to a plan. We know what his plan is. From, Chris, from what we celebrate as Christmas to what we celebrate as Easter. Over those 33 years or so, we know that Jesus was working to a plan. He was working to obey his Father's plan. And because God's a worker, it means that there's this intrinsic or this contained within value to work itself. To the idea of work. Work is valuable. Whatever work you're doing. It means that when I engage in work, I'm also engaging in one of the attributes of God. You remember the Bible tells us that we're created in the image of God? Well, God's a worker. And so he wants us to work. Now, I do need to define work. We're going to get there in a minute. But Jesus showed the same attributes of God. Well, he was God, wasn't he? So Jesus was a worker as well. And in fact, he declared that in the temple one day when he read this scripture. Oh, sorry, uh, skipped the part. So God actually anoints us for work just like he anointed Jesus for work. And this scripture says, read it for me. The Spirit... He was doing God's work, just as God asked him to do. And he was anointed for that. He was, it was his special purpose, if you like, that God wanted him to declare the good news of salvation through faith in himself. And that's what happened to Saul and David. They were anointed for God's purposes. But, you know, right from that moment of their anointing, both of them did something strange. They weren't sitting up in a palace straight away even though they were involved in king work. Do you know what they did? Saul went back to farming. David went back to shepherding. So they were both anointed at the various times, but Saul remained as a farmer 
and then later on moved into a military role, a commanding military role, and then into the uh, ruling uh, palace-type role. David did the same. He worked as a shepherd until uh, Saul st- stepped down and he was in- to go into the, uh, into the palace. So for us, do we see the importance or the dignity or the intrinsic value of the work that God's called us to? Let's have a look at that, that for a moment. What work has God called you to? It could be the job that you're curry, currently in. It could be the retirement that you're currently experiencing. It could be the, um, the responsibilities you have around the household or the responsibilities you have in the community. Whatever work equals service equals ministry that you're doing, God sees value in that. And today I want to say again, thank you for your service. When, when, when I look at my work, or when you look at your work, do you see your job as a call from God to be in that place? Do you see, do you have an anointing from God to be the grandparents that you need to be for, to your grandchildren, or the mums and dads that you need to be for your children? That's work, that's service, that's ministry. So I want to say again, thank you for your service. So, so David and Saul were both anointed to do God's king work, but something happened to Saul along the way. And this next point is a point of caution. We need to be careful when it comes to work. God's a worker. God anoints me to join him in his work, but we need to beware of the temptation to focus on my work or our work rather than God. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever let their work take the greater focus than what God has in their lives? I think it needs to be a, an integral uh, focus, that God has given me the role that I'm in, uh, whatever role that is, uh, whatever responsibilities I have, and I'm working with him in that role. I'm working because that's where he wants me to be. This is what happened to Saul. Saul. Saul lost the focus. He lost the focus of being God's anointed, appointed one to the fact that he was the king and wasn't he great and wonderful and he was doing such a great job as a king that he left God out of it. And that's sad, isn't it, when that happens? We've got to be careful that we don't follow Saul's example. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, there was this occasion when Saul had gone to Gilgal. There was a, uh, he was in, in, instructed to take, to wait for Samuel the prophet to come and bring sacrifices on behalf of the people for God before they went into battle. And Samuel was late. And so Saul went ahead and did those sacrifices himself and God was not happy about that. So he took the role of Samuel the prophet on himself and God looked down uh, on that. He wasn't happy with that. A second time in Samuel, 1 Samuel, God uh, told Saul to instruct his army to wipe out the, uh, the pagan nation or the pagan people of the Amalekites. Livestock, everything, all their property and their lives. So the people, the army, they didn't do it. They took some of the livestock for themselves. And God was angry because he'd given direct instructions that they had to wipe that nation out. And so, but Saul said, but, but, but we only took them so that we could make a sacrifice to you. He'd lost sight of what God had said to him. Instead of work being connected with his worship, Saul had chosen to make the work the focus rather than God the focus. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, what does it say? Let's read it. 
If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can misunderstand the theology in this passage. And so I need to speak to that today. At first glance, it sounds as if God is the source of evil. And that's not what it's saying at all. God is the source of the evil spirit that torments Saul. We know from Scripture, in particular James 1, it says that God can never be the source of evil. And so we need to balance that out and see, well, what's happening here? God regularly used the evil nations around about Israel to bring judgment and punishment on disobedient Israel. But God did not... God was not evil in himself. He he wasn't the source of evil. When you look at the background to the Hebrew there, it's got a couple of different options. And I think one of them is very clear when I talked about these options. The word evil could be translated as the word troubling or the word disturbing or injurious. It was a could have been a troubling spirit, an injurious spirit, a disturbing spirit. And that some uh, commentators have said it's, it's possible that, that Paul had a, uh, a, a, a troubled spirit within, him, within himself, not just an evil spirit that came on him. It was a troubled within himself, and God allowed that to enlarge and enlarge without affecting him. It could be that a satanic spirit God permitted to uh, come into Saul's life and, and, and to result in disobedience. Either way, Saul no longer had the benefit of God's spirit in his life. Like in the Old Testament, it was different to us today. In the Old Testament, God allowed his spirit to come onto a person for a time, for a role, for a mission, for a purpose, and then withdrew the spirit. In our day, when we come to faith in Christ, God's Holy Spirit comes into us and does not get taken away from us. So it's different. We need to be careful. Saul didn't learn the lesson. Saul had lost his focus on God and focused on uh, pride and ego and wealth and all that sort of stuff. You know, that can be a temptation for all of us, particularly pastors. It's so easy to think that, that we're doing king work in what we do and yet pride takes over and, and ego takes over to the point where we take off our focus off God. It's a trap. And uh, I've been there in the past. Uh, so as, a, as a, a new pastor walking out of the church and, and, and people walking out and saying, great sermon today, pastor, and that re- God really spoke to me, and my head sort of went, and somewhere along the way it had to let the air out. And so thankfully I had some trusted people who would come alongside me and say, John, it was God doing the work, not you. You're just his vessel. Enjoy what God does, but know that he's doing the work is for him. So I was very fortunate for those wise people to use to say that. Um, I think people have tried to use worship as a tool, a worship of God as a tool to accomplish their work. And they go to church because it's a good place to make contacts where they could develop their business uh, relationships better. There's nothing wrong with making good contacts at church, but the focus has to be worshipping God rather than building up your business. So I wonder what your attitude to work is today, the work that God's called you to. And I know this is really hard for retired people to uh, identify with this, but do you know part of your work, I believe, is uh, is uh, being a witness to your grandchildren, uh, to uh, to those people around that see you as an elder statesman, or someone that's lived life and should have learnt from a lot of mistakes. So that's your job. How's that for retired people? I'm nearly there. Not yet. So the second thing that uh, 
we get from this passage about work is we need to, if we want to whistle while we work, if we want to enjoy the work that God's led us into, then we need to concentrate on serving regardless of our position in that workplace. Whether we're a uh, uh, tradie on the floor, whether we're a manager in admin, whether we're the CEO of an organisation, uh, it doesn't matter what our position is. What matters is our attitude to serving those that we work with and work for. And this is shown in, uh, in David's life. When David went back to tend his sheep in the pasture, what did he do on request? He went to Saul's palace to play the harp. He went to Saul's palace to play the harp. David wasn't preparing to do king work. He was doing it just by playing the harp before the king. King work was serving God right where he was. Serving God, recognising the position of Saul who was still king at that time and him just being a lowly shepherd who played a harp. So I wonder what that's like for you. Jesus knew what it was like. If you read this passage, what does it say? Mark 10, 45. Let's read it. So both David and Jesus demonstrated in their lives that work is about serving others. Not just about earning stuff for ourselves, but it's about serving others in what we do, right where we are. Whether it be out in the field protecting the sheep, whether it be in the um, presence of the king playing the harp for Jesus, whether it be healing the lame, turning the water into the wine, talking to the forbidden Samaritan woman, or raising from the dead. It was about serving the people in the work that God had called them to. And I think one of the things that gives us the most fulfilment in our work is seeing how our work serves the needs of others. Doesn't it bring a warmth into your life or a smile on your face when you see how people respond to the care that you give them or the instructions or the uh, modelling that you give to them and they get it? Doesn't that just warm your heart? And, And they're pleased with what they're learning and they're pleased at the end result. I wonder, like I said before, maybe your work is raising your kids at home. Maybe your work is uh, an artist who draws and produces beauty so that others can appreciate it. I wonder if that's you. I wonder if you're an engineer and you design products that keep people safe or make their lives easier. Can you see where I'm going? It's, it's what you do that affects other people, how you serve other people. Maybe you're an accountant that serves serves people, uh, helps people keep track of their finances so they can uh, stay out of trouble with the tax office. You know, that's serving people, isn't it? The fact is that most of us can serve people right where we are. In whatever job or employment or stage of life we're in, we can serve others. Is that your attitude to work? Is it just for what you can get out of it? Or is it because of what you can give to it? and the effect you can have on others through it. And the third reason we can uh, learn how to whistle while, uh, while we work is commit to excellence in how we do our job. You know, what's the quality of work that you do? Um, David was a very skillful musician, but he also did other things well. Uh, did you know that he used to chase off the walls with his sling and his stones? What did God end up doing with him, with that skill? Defeating the giant Goliath. And now as a, a harp-playing shepherd who used to play the harp to soothe the sheep, 
He's now soothing the troubled life of Saul the king. And some translations uh, say that he was a um, uh, a well-practiced musician, that he was a a, uh, a polished musician, I, I think that the, the term they use. So David was committing to doing the work that he did to the best of his ability. I wonder if that's our attitude in work. I believe as followers of Jesus Christ, it should be our attitude in the work that we do. Christians should be the very best workers around the place, both in attitude, in uh, energy, and, and, and Paul reflected that when he wrote some of his letters. He said this in Colossians. Would you read it? So Christians ought to be hard workers. We ought to work with all our hearts because... As we've already seen, our work is an anointing from God. He wants us in that place at that time to serve him and to serve others on his behalf. We're not merely working for other men, we're working for God. But hard work is not enough. There's this excellence that David produced. And there's a verse in Ecclesiastes, you might not have read this one much, but it really tells us what our attitude should be when it comes to work. Why don't you read it? If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. It means that we need to hone our skills. We need to be always looking to improve how we do the work that we do. I'll tell you a story. A friend of mine, uh, as a teenager, Dave, he was an amateur mechanic. I was an amateur mechanic. But he ended up becoming a tradesman mechanic and I became a draftsman. We used to work in our cars together. I had a HR Monaro. He had a GTS Monaro. I had a HR Holden. He had a GTS Monaro. I was terribly jealous of him. And he used to have them humming. Uh, and it was great to work with him. But, you know, cars today have got a lot more sophisticated. Computer systems in them and all that sort of stuff. And while Dave had a great natural talent as a mechanic, he has had to constantly update his skills and buy new equipment in order to do his work with excellence. Think about it. When you have someone work on your car, do you want someone who has a great natural ability but never updates his or her skills? Or do you want someone who may have a little less natural talent but is always learning and training to update those skills? That's a mechanic, but what about surgery? Do you want a doctor who only performs a few surgeries a year or the one who is constantly updating his knowledge and skills and is using the latest technology? I think I know which one I'd go with. So as Christians, if we want to whistle whistle while we work, if we want to uh, have people say to us, thank you for your service, then we need to be constantly upgrading our skills and learning new things, maybe being stretched a little bit as we do our work. This morning I want to finish with a few questions just to think about. If you want to connect your whistle while you work, then you need to connect your work and your worship. What I'm doing is where God wants me to be and I need to work for him so that I might serve other people regardless of the position or the acknowledgements I get and commit to excellence in our work. So some questions you might ask yourself as you go home and think about this passage, read through it again, ask yourself these questions. How can I better see my work as king work. Everything I do. How can I better see my work as king work? In what ways does my work serve the needs of others? Is, it, is my work just for me? 
or is it something where I impact the lives of others? And then the third thing, how can I improve my attitude and skills to bring excellence to my work? I wanted to finish by saying work is not a dirty word. Work is a word that's been created by God because that's his nature. And finally, I want to say, once again, thank you for your service. Uh, I trust that God uh, will bless you with your, because of your attitude and your energy that you've shown in, shown in service for him this year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it touches on areas of our lives that are um, important to us, that uh, each of us are involved in, in whatever stage of life we're in, that we, we live each day in service for you. And, and probably through that, we impact the lives of others. So, Lord, help us to have the right attitude. Help us to enjoy waking up every day and saying, what have you got for me today, Lord? How can I serve you? How can I serve others? We want to take David's example into our lives, that he was uh, proficient in what he did. He was willing to serve whomever, and because he was anointed by you to do that. And so we thank you for what you've called us to. Uh, I know that it's not always easy. There's often challenges along the way, Father, and we thank you that you help us, you assist us through those challenges, that we might see how you work in other people's lives. We thank you and praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody wants to talk to me about work after the